Hello, and welcome to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estru, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. So, you may have heard or you may not have heard, but Taylor Swift's new album, Midnight's, dropped this weekend at midnight. Actually, midnight Friday night, so early Saturday morning. Depending on how updated you are with pop culture, especially Taylor Swift, this may apply to you, this may not. I'll state right off the bat that I have not listened to it, so I can neither confirm nor deny its quality, but I do want to talk about it because I read an article on it on Ms. Magazine, and I believe it tied into another article I was reading from World Magazine on the sexual revolution and just kind of where we're at in our culture and the responses that we're getting now and the degree of happiness in our culture and kind of addressing that. So in this article by Ms. Magazine, basically it it explains something that I didn't know, but Taylor Swift has in the past previous few years been remaking or reproducing her old albums from the early 2000s, which for people my age, you know, late teens, early 20s, can be super exciting because we grew up with those young albums. We were we were young kids in like elementary school, early middle school when she was releasing these albums in the 2000s. And so now she's like remaking them, changing some of the lyrics, but like same general idea, at least from what I've gotten in this sense. And basically what this article Ms. Magazine presents is that she was getting a lot of critique during the early 2000s when she was producing these albums. And basically one of the responses she got was, Each album, each song is the same old story. It's you're in love, you break up, and it's heartbreak. And you're just singing about how upset you are and how sad you are. And basically, she was getting critique saying she's she's dating around because in order to keep writing songs she was basically like continually dating and then breaking up and I'm not saying that she was like actively choosing that life of you know like I'm just gonna date him so I can write a song about him once we break up that I don't think that's how far she would have gone but that was kind of the pushback she got and honestly I it's it's kind of true. It's it's very sad. Like, why is this entertaining? Why, and I admit to it, why do girls especially, but people my age connect to such a heartbreaking story? Is it because we all, we all deal with, oh, liking someone and then that not working out? And, and so we have these pent up emotions in ourselves and we want to let them out and screaming Taylor Swift together is how you let them out. Whether that's I'm in love with this boy or I am really mad at this person, like either way. But it's, it's so, it's fun. I'm not, I'm not denying that. It is a fun time, but it is interesting that we're like bonding over such a, a deep issue and such a foundational part of our lives, such deep emotion. And it's, let's not forget that it's one person's story. Like it's not just as general as it can be of, yeah, we all experience this. Like this is her life. And we're like, bonding over the fact that we all relate which I just I don't know I find that interesting and it makes me reflect on where is our culture and like 
why is why is this not necessarily being celebrated, but definitely being promoted and encouraged almost? Because it's almost this idea that every young girl thinks like, well, someday I am going to go through heartbreak and then I'll like really understand, which is true to some extent. Like we all will go through some sort of heartbreak, whether or not that's romantic or not, but like likelihood probably. But also... I don't really know that that's something to like encourage and look forward to in young girls. And I'm speaking mostly to myself because I definitely remember thinking that as a kid, like, oh, won't it be cool someday to be the one living the drama and be the one talking about it and the one who was hurt. But honestly, that is just foolish thinking. Why would I ever want to be the one who was hurt? That That is not the right mindset. So I'm just talking to 10-year-old self right now. But Anyways, before I get too sidetracked, let's dive into the article. So Juliet Holder from Ms. Magazine, she's writing, and she goes beyond just saying that Taylor Swift is reproducing these albums. She explains why. And she says that she's basically producing and promoting new ideologies that were always in her songs, but she's making them clearer now. So I'm going to quote Juliet Holder now. She says, In returning to her old self, Swift isn't so much resurrecting the dead, but recovering what was lost and reframing the public's understanding of her, both then and now. Swift isn't updating her songs as much as she's updating her own mythology and stepping into a feminist identity along the way. So, in support of this, she quotes Taylor Swift when Taylor Swift was asked, Are you a feminist? And at first, a few years this was like 2008, I think, um, somewhere in there, she said, I don't really see things as guys versus gals. And then a few years later, she says, actually, I have been a feminist. And yes, I now I understand what true feminism is. And it's not what I thought it was. It's more that I I don't want to like expound upon what a very small quote, but basically, she was saying, Oh, I have been a feminist this whole time. I just didn't understand what it meant. And then Juliet Holder continues, quote, Fans have pointed out that her outfit on the Fearless Taylor's Version cover reflects that outfit worn by the Romeo character in her 2008 Love Story music video. Swift no longer needs Romeo to save her. She can rescue herself. The cover for Taylor's Version pictures Swift in the driver's seat of a car, literally in the place of control, end quote. So, I don't know if you're familiar with the music video from Love Story, but it's the Romeo Juliet Love Story song. It's very a classic Taylor Swift early 2000s song. And she's in this, it's a beautiful music video. She's in this beautiful stunning dress. Her hair is up and the Romeo is dressed kind of to reflect that time in that culture of like back in Romeo Juliet period in, in a nice suit and he's groomed and he looks great very well put together and so now fans are saying well look she's wearing that outfit like I haven't seen the cover of the album that shows you how cultured I am but I'm assuming she's in some sort of outfit reflecting the Romeo character and and they're saying this is symbolism that she's in control and that she doesn't need Romeo to save her which is literally the lyric it says Romeo save me I've been feeling so alone I keep waiting for you but you never come I could keep going, but I'm not going to. You can listen to the song (laughs) to hear the rest of her lyrics. But yeah, they're pushing this, oh, she's become a feminist. She's in control. 
And more language she uses, Juliet Holder uses, is basically saying she it took her being silenced is what the term she uses to take control and realize that she is a feminist and that she does care about these issues and she wants to be in control. So finally, I'm going to quote Juliet Holder for the last time. This is a little bit longer of a quote, but it's the end of her article. And I really think it sums up her argument. She says, quote, rather than disowning or distancing herself from her old self, Swift takes care to recreate the important pieces of herself from her past and trace her current values back to those versions of herself. Swift has grown more confident. She's reclaimed, literally and symbolically, ownership of her name, works, and ideas. She's engaged in more feminist work. These parts of her were there all along, she says. She just needed more life experience and freedom from oppressive patriarchal systems to fully realize them. So this is adopting, again, that oppressive language. And so the point they're saying, which freedom from patriarchal oppressive systems is basically, I think, if I'm understanding correctly, like her producers or whoever was helping her along her journey, her music career path, basically were like filtering her music and saying you should publish this or you shouldn't publish this. And so now that's part of the reason why she's republishing is because it's like this is Taylor's version, not the version that was forced and that I was under oppression during, take that as it may. So again, the feminist language is constantly oppressed. I'm oppressed, I'm oppressed, I'm oppressed, and I'm pushing against it. I want freedom. Um, And that is what leads us to, as I alluded to at the beginning, the sexual revolution, which we've talked about before, a very key part of the second wave feminist movement. Um, But yeah, in the 1960s, this push for freedom, it was push for sexual freedom. And it was, again, looking at ourselves and saying, oh, well, these boundaries or these limitations are oppressive, and I'm going to push against them. So they think that these boundaries, by pushing against them and pushing for freedom, just removing all of them, will bring happiness. But the key is that there's beauty in boundaries. And when you push against the boundaries, chaos follows. Because the boundaries and rules are there for a reason. And they're there to bring you freedom and happiness. And when you throw them away, you lose both freedom and happiness. Because now you're enslaved to the pursuit of happiness that is not pursuing the right object that will bring you happiness, which ultimately I believe is Christ. So I think I've given this example before, but take any sport. There are rules in every single sport. And if you abolish the rules, the sport becomes pointless and not fun because you can't have a functioning team or do anything, have a a good play if there's no rules because it's just chaotic. That's the same thing with this. So now I'm going to quote from World Magazine. I don't know if you guys are familiar with World Magazine. It's a Christian magazine, a publication, wonderful, wonderful magazine. I love reading it and I love listening to their radio and that they just a good journalism outlet if you're seeking something from a Christian perspective. So Janie B. Cheney, she is quoting women and men and saying that they're more unhappy than they were in the 1960s. And she she's specifically talking about the sexual revolution and then where are we today? And so 
she says that people are even having regrets and not finding the happiness that was promised. She says, quote, women feel guilty for feeling guilty. What was liberation about anyway? Why couldn't they just have fun with hookups? End quote. So she's basically pulling you into the psychology of a woman saying, okay, so I've been free through the sexual revolution to sleep with whoever I want and it should bring happiness, but I'm not happy and therefore I feel guilty. So the guilty for feeling guilty is I feel guilty that I lived my life like this, but I feel guilty that I feel guilty about that because apparently living my life how I want and pursuing whatever pleasure I want should bring me happiness. So why am I feeling guilty about it? That's the crisis that we're at today with the, re- the tangible results of this sexual revolution. And the, the legitimate answer, I believe, is why aren't women finding this happiness or men? She quotes both. It's because this isn't the way that God designed it. And she continues, quote, It might be time to admit that men and women are different and that sex can neither be conducted by a scorecard nor regarded as a level playing field where the only rule is consent. So I haven't explained this yet, but in her article, she starts talking about how consent has risen in our language as the key determiner of if you want to do this or if this will bring you happiness. And so that's why she's referring to consent here. But her quote, larger, means it's time to admit that men and women are different and that basically sleeping around and just like getting a bunch of tallies on however many people is not what it's supposed to be like. And therefore, it will not bring us happiness. And that's because the sexual revolution destroyed all these boundaries and it destroyed the boundaries of something that God created to be between two people only and a a man and his wife. And it's a representation of God's covenantal love. It's the deepest connection a human, two human beings can share. And it's God's gracious gift to us. And yet when we take it out of that context, it becomes self-consuming and harmful. And then I'm going to quote her again. She says, quote, almost everyone before 1960 knew these basic facts of nature, yet chose not to know them in anticipation of a brighter, freer future. It hasn't freed anyone, end quote. So as I've been saying, because freedom can only exist in a structured society or in boundaries. Therefore, when you remove them, you don't get freedom, you get chaos. And she's saying, let's look back in the 1960s. Everyone knew that this was like a foundational part of human life and that these boundaries are here for a reason, but they chose to not know them. That's the language she uses. Or they chose to ignore them because they thought that it was oppressive and that They could seek their happiness and define it on their own, basically saying, no, God, my way is better, which let's be honest, that's fundamental to human nature. I know best. I'm going to be in control. She continues, uh, this is the last quote I'm going to say from her. She says, quote, we don't need a new sexual ethic. What we need is a biblical one of persons created, male and female, in the image of God, blessed by him to complement each other and be fruitful and eternally happy. 
that's how she ends her article. And I think it's just beautiful because lots of people are looking for a way to solve this problem of, well, we thought this would bring happiness, but it hasn't. Why? And the typical reason that you're going to hear is, well, we're still oppressed in X, Y, and Z. So for example, we still have stereotypical gender roles, or we still have these male and female boundaries and instead we need lgbtq plus rights and identities and once we achieve all of this in equal standing then we will be happy so it's a much longer process and that is the whole fundamental foundation of the feminist movement and anything along the socialist ideology of equity of pushing 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 because this is not right. We still have boundaries. We still have oppressions. And it just never ends because there is no ultimate happiness outside of Christ. That's just true. And they're seeking to find that joy elsewhere. And it just shows the the state of our world that we are in desperate need of Christ. And sadly, this, this agenda will not stop. I, I dropped the word socialist in there a few times, and I know I talked about this a little bit last episode, but I just want to clarify again. It's I'm not saying that every single feminist is a socialist or something like that, but I am saying that they have similar ideologies of, of pushing against the boundaries, pushing for this equity, no roles, and they just never end. It's just constant. You're just always going downhill. And we see that throughout history, through the, like the socialist revolutions, there's a bunch of different factions and divisions within that movement of who can do it right, who knows best. And that comes down to fundamental human nature of, no, I think I know how to do it the best way. And no, I'm the most oppressed. And no, victimhood, pity me, I will make this right because I want freedom and all of you should have it too, but only in the way that I define it. So of course, naturally, that just results in more chaos and in more unhappiness because then you have a bunch of people butting heads against each other because they think their way is best. So let me just end as I've started my habit of ending with a verse because I can't say it as well as the Lord can. I'm going to end with Romans 8, 1 to 4, and it just talks about the freedom that Christ offers in his sacrifice. And it says he frees us from enslavement to the flesh, which brings us just circling in despair. We're just, we can't get out of that enslavement except by his blood. And now he's freed us. And it's interesting because the language is it's, he's freed us to serve him, which people will say, well, that's oppression. But it's not. And the beauty of that is because we're free. We're free in Christ to live in his love. And he deserves all our praise and honor and glory. It all should go to him. And so it's not enslavement to him. It's actually worship of him. So let me just end with that. Romans 8, 1 to 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So that's just a reminder to me and all of the listeners here that we we do get consumed with worldly thoughts and with things of the flesh that's natural and that's because of our sin nature. But here the Lord commands us to set our eyes on things of the spirit. For when we're setting our eyes on things of the flesh, we're living according to the flesh and that brings destruction and hopelessness and unhappiness as we've seen in our world. But when we set our eyes on things of the spirit, it brings freedom and reflection and worship of our Lord and Savior who deserves it all. Thanks for listening to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.